Well, as I look out this morning, I see many visitors with us this morning, so we're grateful to have you. You are honored guest. Uh, my name is Steve Thomas. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is our common practice to preach through books of the Bible verse by verse. And so we find ourselves in the book of 1 Corinthians. So I would invite you to turn there in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians. Today we're going to be looking at verses 15 through 18 of chapter 9. Last week, or two weeks ago, actually, we looked at verses 1 through 14, and that was the beginning of a two-part message that I'm going to continue today. As, uh, as you see, the title is Paul's Example of Sacrifice, Part 2. And Paul is there laying out uh, for us in dealing with an issue that he was confronted with in this church that, as we have learned after going through it now for many months, that this church had many troubles, many problems, much confusion. Uh, much conflict was going on amongst these people. And so as Paul began in uh, chapter 7, well, the first six chapters of 1 Corinthians, Paul is dealing with specific issues that had been reported to him by various people, various things that had come up in this congregation that was driving wedges between them. And so he dealt with that uh, thoroughly in the first six chapters. And then as he begins chapter 7, uh, Paul begins to address several issues uh, that the people themselves had asked him about. Uh, Paul, as, as we recall, was the founding apostle, the, the founding pastor of this church, the, the, the man who started this church in Corinth. He spent 18 months <coughs> laboring there as he planted this church and now had been gone for a couple of years, and now he was beginning to get reports and hear word back from this church, and he had to deal with some issues. And so uh, chapter 8... Uh, through chapter the first verse of chapter 11, he's dealing with an issue of Christian liberty and, and how people relate and do things, do uh, handle different issues uh, that the Bible uh, doesn't give us a thus saith the Lord. Some of these what we call gray areas of the Bible where we have liberty in the gospel to participate, but it's not always that simple cut and dry that we should participate. So that's what Paul is dealing with in chapter 8, as you see in verse 1. Now consider concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And so he went on in chapter 8 to, to, to outline to, these, uh, to, these, to this church uh, that yes, these people did have this freedom. What they were doing, uh, Corinth was a very secular city, a very religious city, a pagan city. And so there were many temples uh, in this city where people would uh, sacrifice to various gods. There were numerous gods that were worshipped you know, amongst these people. And so uh, many of these people were saved and converted to the, to the real gospel through Paul, but they were still involved in some of the activities that were going on in this city, namely some of the, uh, some of the events that were going on in these temples. Uh, many of the people, like us, have relationships with people who are not Christian. Uh, and so that's what was going on, and these people were participating in these activities, and some of the people were struggling with that. They were saying, we have been delivered from that. We've been converted from false uh, worship, from false gods. We should not be participating with any of this. And so it was beginning to drive a wedge between many of the people in this church. And so Paul is saying, yes, you have this knowledge to do this, and knowledge is good, uh, but left alone and without love, it puffs up. And what you need is to focus on love because that's what builds up. 
And so that's what Paul is doing here in chapter 8, actually chapter 8, 9, and 10. Uh, And so we find ourselves in the middle of his argument, in the middle of his discourse to them to try to explain to them uh, and to bring conviction to them that they need to be uh, thinking through these things that they do, that it's not just simply a matter of, yes, I have the freedom to do it. It's a matter of, should I do it, is what they should be focusing on. And so... Paul then goes into chapter 9 and he begins, what he does, if you see in verse 13 there, uh, he says after he lays out uh, various teachings in chapter 8, he says, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. And so he's setting himself up as an example. He's, He's setting himself up to say, look, I'm not going to just come here to teach you something and not practice it myself. I'm going to practice what I preach. And so if, my, if an activity that I participate in, namely here, the one they were dealing with, food sacrificed to idols or food sacrificed in an idol's temple, uh, if that's causing problems for some people, then I'm not going to participate in that. I'm going to uh, refrain from that liberty and that privilege that he, that, I, that he had the right to do. And so he lays that out, but then he goes on through chapter 9, and what we're going to be looking in today is to show uh, that he really does have this right, that he has many rights that he has refrained from. And we looked at that a couple of weeks ago in verses 1 through 14, uh, where first Paul begins, as he always has to do seemingly when there's conflict in the church, especially in this church, he had to defend his apostleship, his right to it, what he was saying. And that's what he does in uh, the first part of chapter 9. He he, he defends his apostleship, and then he begins to establish himself as an example of sacrifice in the area of liberties, and he uses the issue of his right to receive pay as a gospel minister in the ministry of the gospel. And that's what we looked at a couple of weeks ago. And so in the verses we're going to look at this morning, uh, he's, he will say that he has not used this right, as, we, as we're going to look at in a moment, but first... Uh, what he had to establish first is that 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 beyond doubt, beyond uh, beyond uh, disagreement or anything, that gospel workers did have this right to be compensated. Because he ends he ends it very forcefully in verse fourteen, where he says, in chapter nine, verse fourteen, he says, "In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel." And so Paul is setting out here. Uh, that he has that right, no doubt, that it is a given right that gospel workers should receive pay for what they do. But, as we see here, he did not take advantage of that. But he lays it out very clearly, and he lays it out from four different scenarios that he lays out as, as an example to prove his point. And in verse 7, he says, "...who serves as a soldier at his own expense?" Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? And so he lays out his argument here from common sense. He's saying, who, who goes and serves as a soldier? Who fights as a soldier and then has to go get a job at night to, uh, to take care of his family? Nobody. None. Who plants a vineyard without eating some of the fruit? Who is going to farm and do all the hard work that a farmer takes and, yet, and then go have to get another job at night to provide for his family? The answer is none. Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? None. The, what he's saying here, from common sense, you should be uh, re, uh, recompensed or, or paid for the labors that you participate in. And so that's what he's laying out very clearly here in verse 7 from common sense. But then he goes on further in, chapter, in verses um, 9 through 11. He says, For it is written, 
in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Because he says there in verse 8, he says, do I say these things on human authority as well? Is I, am I just making a common sense argument? No. Does not the law say the same thing? So now he comes from the argument of common sense, but then he begins to ground it in the law, in the Word of God. And then he goes back to Deuteronomy 25 and quoting a verse there that says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And, and he goes on to say, is it for oxen? That God is concerned? Does He not speak entirely for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher should thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. And so Paul is laying out here that God didn't write that command back in the Old Testament for oxen himself because Martin Luther said about this verse that oxen can't read. And so, and so God was not writing a, a law in and of itself because oxen needed somebody to help them because they needed to be paid. No, he's saying no. This was written as a standard for all of us, for us especially, that that a person who's working in, in whatever he's doing, especially in the gospel ministry, should be uh, should should receive his his living from the gospel ministry. And he goes on to say, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things? So you see, he's just piling up the argument. He's piling up these questions and, and proving his point that he has the right to partake and to receive his living from the gospel. And then in verse 13, he gives us another, because the first we see the Old Testament law of the ox in verses 9 through 11, but then verse 13, he gives us the Old Testament law of the priest. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. We all know the story of the Levitical priesthood. They did not receive any inheritance, any land, anything uh, whenever they went into the promised land. They were supported before, from the people for their labors as priests. And so whenever a person would bring a sacrifice, an animal to be sacrificed, uh, the priest would receive part of that animal as his sustenance, as his payment. And so Paul is laying out here, not only from common sense, not only from the Old Testament law of the ox, but also through the law of the priest that a person should receive his living from, his, from the gospel labors, from his labors. But then he puts the capstone on it in verse 14, and he says, in the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. And so... The first 14 verses, Paul has made, has made the, the case very clearly, closed it, really closed it and nailed it shut, that he has the right to receive payment for his labors, not only from the Old Testament and common sense, but also from the New Testament teaching of Jesus. But verse 12 says, he says, If others share this rightful claim on you, do not, even, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. We have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. And so Paul here is now, as he's la after he's laid out his case, that yes, we have an unequivocal right to receive payment for our labors in the gospel ministry. But nevertheless, I have decided and I have chosen for myself this is not binding on anyone else, but for myself, I have chosen not to make use of that right. You see, and one of the things he's, begun, he's teaching us here and he's laying out for us here is restraint in the areas of liberty with the circumstances dictated. 
Because you see, it's one thing to bear our cross in order to deny ourselves of sin. We as Christians are called to die to ourselves every day. We pick up our cross every day, and a cross is an instrument of crucifixion, of death, and we pick that cross up every day as we slay our flesh and we slay our sinful desires every day. We are called to do that. There is a bearing of our cross, though, that goes beyond that as Christians. Not only do we bear our cross to deny sin in ourselves, we also at times must bear our cross to deny ourselves of scriptural principles. Sometimes we are called upon to do that, and that's what Paul is doing here and giving us an example of. Did God command that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel? Yes, he's made that case very clearly. But Paul made the individual choice to say no to this right, which was his right to say no. And so that's what Paul has, has done here. He has said, I have the right to receive labor, to receive payment for my labors, but I am not going to call for that right. I'm not going to claim that right. And so what we're going to look at this morning is what was his motive, what was his reasons for doing that? Why did he do that? And he did it many other times that we see in, in the Thessalonian church. In 1 Thessalonians 2, he says, Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you became very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. And also he said in his second letter to the same church of Thessalonica, he says, For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were among you, when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to emanate. So Paul many times refrained from receiving payment for his labors. And we're going to talk about that more in just a moment of why he would do that. But we see that the very heart of the apostle is, is not himself. He is not a, a pastor like many in our day who is out for himself, who is out to to receive payment and to build up these lavish lifestyles lifestyles through their gospel work. That was not the case for Paul at all. And so we're going to see why he chose to do that. So let's read verses 15 through 18. <clears throat> he says, But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with the stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I, pre I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. And so Paul now is going to answer the question of why he's doing this. What is his focus? And the first thing we see there in verse 15 is Paul, his motivation. He says, I have made no use of these rights. You notice there that the word rights is in plural. 
Now, you would think if he's just focusing on his right to receive payment, it would just be singular. But he writes there, I have made no use of these rights, plural. Well, we've already heard what they are. If we go back and and look at uh, chapter 9, verses 4 through 6, the first right that he laid out there was his right to eat or drink. He has that right. The second one we see it in verse 5, to take along a believing wife, where he says, do not we have a right to take along a believing wife? Do we not have the right to be married and for our wife to accompany us on our ministries like the other apostles? And then the, finally he said the, the one that he's been talking about the most is the right to refrain from working. And so Paul says, I have not made use of any of those rights, nor am I writing th- these things to secure any such provision. Just so there's no misunderstanding, Corinthians, I'm not writing you this now because I want you to back pay me, to, to, to catch me up on all the work that I've done for you in the past. Paul said in Acts chapter 20, as he was talking to the Ephesian elders in Miletus, he says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, who said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so Paul is clearly laying out here that, look, I'm not looking for money in this. I want you to be painstakingly clear in that. I am, not ask, I am not writing you about this because I need this right. And if you would, flip over, keep your finger there in 1 Corinthians and flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Second <coughs> Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verses 1 through 13, Paul is... Uh, is writing to this, this, this is the second letter to this same church a few years later. And so he's writing about this same issue. He says, because there's still people who still are confusing his ministry, who still don't understand why he does what he does. He says there in verse 1 of chapter 11, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. I feel a divine jealousy for you, for I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking... I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. <coughs> or did I commit sin in humbling myself myself, so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way, as the truth of Christ is in me. This boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And what I do, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would claim, who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles deceitful workmen disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And so Paul here is laying out to them in retrospect, several years after he wrote what he's writing to us to them now, that, look, I didn't come to you in a, as a burden. I didn't come to you seeking 
uh, uh, sustenance for myself or seeking care for myself or pay for myself. In fact, I didn't want anything from you. It was these other people who, who supplied his need, the Philippian church. And we see here where he talks to the Philippians about that in, in chapter 4, verse 14. And you can go back to 1 Corinthians now. I'll pick that up in a second. In chapter 4, verse 14 and 18, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And so Paul is laying out how he received his help. It was actually from another area, actually from the north. He's in the south. He's in the region of Achaia in Corinth. But in the, in the region of the north, in the northern part of modern-day Greece, is what they called Macedonia. That's where the church of Thessalonica and Philippi were, were at. And so these people here sent Paul a love gift, so to speak, to provide for his labors. Paul received nothing from those he was laboring to. Paul, in that way, was able to glory in the restraint of his liberties because he says there, I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. Actually, in the original Greek, that's a broken sentence. It goes, it goes like this, for I would rather die, and then it kind of breaks off. It's like Paul was trying to make some very emotional point where he says, I would rather die, and then he just stops. And then it picks up and says, anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. And so you see how passionate Paul was that he was not going to be charged with wrongdoing. He was not going to be charged as a charlatan like some of the other philosophers and preachers that were in this city of Corinth that was peddling their pagan gospel. He was not going to be lumped in with them. He's saying, no, I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. Well, that sounds wrong to me because we're not supposed to boast, right? Boasting is wrong in some instances, and it is in some instances, because most of the time for us, boasting is is ingrained and has the foundation of pride. But that's not what Paul's saying here. His ground of boasting is in the gospel because he says in, earlier in this, in this letter in chapter 1, verse 31, he says, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so that's where Paul's talking about here. His boasting comes from the fact that he's able to work. He's able to work for himself and provide for his own needs so that he is not a burden for anyone. He's an example to those that he's working with the gospel, so that the gospel is going out unhindered. And so his motivation is that he may that he's able to boast in this. He's able to glory in the fact that, yes, they cannot charge me with wrongdoing. They cannot lump me in with all these other messages that are going out in this city. The, the, the gospel message of Christ is going to be seen as different. It's going to be seen as greater because the, 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 the restraint of liberties and the love that's coming forth from from. from Christ's gospel ministers looks drastically different than the rest. And so we first see that Paul had his motivation in boasting in the gospel. But second, we see that he restrained from this liberty of payment because it was his responsibility. Verse 16, he says, For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. 
For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. No key in on that word necessity. It actually means constraint or inherent pressure. It's actually as if you was to take something and lay it down on a surface and it has a tremendous amount of weight and it's pressing upon whatever it's laying upon. That's what this word's talking about. He's saying that necessity, constraint has been forced laid upon me. <laughs> Paul is saying, I didn't choose to do this. I didn't choose to preach. I didn't choose this occupation for myself. In Acts 9, Paul, as we know, he's on the road to Damascus to arrest Christians that he has heard about because he wants to get in good with the high priest. So he's on the road to do the work of the high priest to arrest these Christians in Damascus. And what happens? Christ meets him on that road. And if you remember, knocks him off his horse with this blinding light of the glory of Christ. He knocks him off his horse and blinds him. And there we see the conversion of Paul, so to speak, happening right before us. But then he also, what does Christ do on that road? And then subsequently, as Paul goes into Damascus, he commissions Paul. Did Christ ask him if he would like to preach? Did he say, hey, I've got a job I'd like for you to do. Do you think you're up to the task? No, he didn't say that. Acts chapter 9, verse 15. But the Lord said to him, he's talking to Ananias, who's supposed to go talk to Paul. He says, go, for he is a chosen, a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. There's no question of whether or not you want to do this. He was commissioned by Christ to do it. It was in, he, he was, he was drafted into the Lord's army, into the Lord's work. Paul said of himself in Galatians chapter 1, verse 15, he says, But when he who had set me apart before I was born, before he was born, he was set apart for this work, to be called out by Christ and to be commissioned as the apostle to the Gentiles. Paul's commission was completely involuntary. He says, For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. I didn't volunteer for this. I was volunteered. And so by necessity, I preached the gospel. And this is the way it is always for God's ministers almost. You see it in, in, in the commission of Jeremiah. You don't have to turn back there, but I'm going to flip back and read a couple of passages in Jeremiah. Jeremiah was the prophet of God in the Old Testament. He says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. I appointed you. Do you see the language there? of how God had set apart Jeremiah just as He did Paul in the womb before he was even born. And then later, in chapter 20, verses 7 through 8, this is uh, Jeremiah lamenting uh, the, the lack of success in his ministry. He says, O Lord, You have deceived me, and I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and You have prevailed. I have become a laughing stock all the day. Everyone mocks me. For whenever I speak, I cry out. I shout violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and a derision all day long. If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. So you see... God set apart Jeremiah from the womb for this ministry, but when he's actually in the heart of this ministry and working through it, it's not going very well for him. And he says, I would almost rather not go to this because I'm a laughing stock. These people aren't listening to me. They're laughing at me. 
But then he says, when I find myself shrinking back and I don't want to give this message anymore and I want to run, he says, I find that in my heart is it were a burning fire. A burning fire. Shut up in my bones. Necessity, that, that's that word that Paul's talking about. Necessity, the constraint of the commission that God has given to His, his ministers to preach the, His word, the gospel, is a restraint, it's a commission. It's a burning passion. And that's what Paul is saying here in verse 16. He says, For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. I have no ground to boast of myself. This is not my gig. I was called into it. I was volunteered into it and drafted. For necessity is laid unto me. And woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. It's a very strong word, that word woe. It actually means pain and destruction. Paul is saying, if I don't do this, as Jeremiah said, I feel it burning in my bones. That's got to be a pretty painful feeling if your bones are on fire. That would be pretty bad. I think that would get me off my butt if I was sitting down. But Paul is saying here, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Necessity is laid upon me. It's my responsibility. It's my responsibility. And then in verses 17 through 18, we see another reason of why. He restrained himself in his liberties because of his reward. Verses 17 and 18. For if I do this of my own will, (coughs) I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. So what is he saying here? First part, he says, for if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. Kind of sounds awkward there what he's saying, but what he's really saying there is that if this is my thing, if I'm volunteering to do this, then I, then I should respect, I should expect payment. I should expect a reward. If I'm just like any of the rest of the, the religious philosophers in this city who's coming with their message of, of their God, then I should be paid just like the rest of them. I should be receiving a reward just like the rest of them. If this is my thing. But he's saying, it's not my thing, but if not of my own will, as he has laid out earlier, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. That word stewardship means a manager of household affairs. Often that was a slave. He was a slave who was, who was put, placed into the service of a family. His service was involuntary. He did, not, he, did, he did what he was told when he was told to do it, exactly how he was told to do it. That's what a steward did. Uh, Jesus told a parable about service in Luke chapter 17. Uh, And then verse 10, he says, So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. That's how Jesus described a servant, his servant, his bond servant. We don't do it for gain. We don't do it for notoriety or prestige. We do it because we are unworthy servants. We have only done what is our duty. (laughs) And so that's the mind of Paul. That's the mind, that was the mind of Jeremiah. We don't do this for our own reward. We have a stewardship that's entrusted to me. Woe if I do not work in this stewardship. It's been given to me. I'm a bond slave of Christ in this gospel work. But then verse 18, he answers, his, his, he answers the question, What then is my reward? That in my preaching, the, that I, in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. So we see from this verse and a couple other verses we'll look at that Paul, his reward was really threefold. The first we see in this verse is that 
the, that Paul had the knowledge that the gospel was free. That he was giving the gospel for free. He says that in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. That was different than what everybody else was doing. They were peddling their, 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 their messages, whatever they were doing, for payment. They were exalt, looking to exalt themselves. Paul is saying, no, my boast and my glory is that I know that the gospel goes out free of charge. This is not about me. This is about the message that I'm bringing. It's a free message. And is this not why we support foreign missionaries? Because really that's what, how Paul was, was, was what he was doing here in Corinth. He was a missionary. I mean, what would it be like if, if I went over to, I don't know, Nicaragua or somewhere, Nigeria or Ghana or some foreign land where maybe some areas where the gospel has not gone out, and the first thing I do when I get into that area, into those tribes, and say, hey, I'm, my family needs about $15,000 a year for us to be able to eat here, so that's the first priority for you, to get together and figure out how you're going to get my salary paid for. How well do you think I'd be able to present the gospel to these people who are looking at me like, who is this nut? You know, I don't even know what he's here. Who is this Jesus? He's got some message he wants to give us, but the first thing he wants to tell us is about is he needs to be paid. That's not how we do foreign missions, right? It, wouldn't, it would be ludicrous to do it that way. We support foreign missionaries to send them so that they can present the gospel free of charge, where they can go out and the only thing that they have upon their mouths is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're not worried about how they're being taken care of. And that's what Paul is saying here. He had this knowledge. That's why he gloried in the fact that others were maybe supporting him from time to time as he needed from outside of where he was at so that the gospel would not be attached to money. He had the knowledge of a free gospel. The second reward that Paul had, we see this back in verse 12 of chapter 9, the knowledge of an unhindered gospel. He says, If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Key in on the last part of that verse. He says, we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of in the gospel of Christ. That word endure literally means to suffer. He's saying it could mean to suffer. We, we suffer anything. We will go through any hardship, any trial, rather than put an obstacle in the way of this gospel. He did not want the gospel to be hindered. He did not want the gospel to be stumbled over. The gospel itself is a stumbling block, is it not? That's what he, they call it. That's what Christ is, is a stumbling block. But we want Christ to be the stumbling block, not us. And so Paul knew that. He had a knowledge that he did not want the gospel to be hindered, a desire. But then also, Paul's reward, and we're going to see this. I'm going to read the next few verses in chapter 9 that we're actually going to cover next week, 19 through 22. And I want you to key in on one particular word that you're going to hear a lot as we read through this verse. See if you can catch it. Verses 19 through 22 of chapter 9. He says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. 
To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. What's the word you hear over and over and over in those verses? Anybody catch it? Win. That I might win. King James, I think, says gain. That I might gain. Paul's reward was to see people saved. That was his desire, that the gospel would go out free and unhindered so that he might see people drawn to himself. He says it there five times in that verse that he would see those one to Christ. And he actually, it's a similar word in the last verse. He says, to the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Win, save. That's what his reward was. That's what he gloried in was the fact that he was... He was bringing forth a gospel unhindered. It wasn't about him. It wasn't about him being paid or being taken care of. It was about seeing people brought to salvation. It was about seeing Jews and Gentiles saved. Paul lived his life with the understanding that the gospel of Jesus Christ was more important. It had a higher priority than his own individual rights. That's really what Paul is talking about in these verses we're looking at this morning. That the gospel of Christ was more important and had a more it had a higher priority than his own individual rights and liberties. He restrained himself for the sake of the gospel, and the gospel freely given and unhindered was his reward and his payment in seeing people drawn to faith. Could Paul travel more effectively without a wife? Yes. He was able to travel more effectively without a wife. So he restrained from that liberty. Could Paul have been a stumbling block if someone had spread the rumor that all Paul was interested in was money? Sure. He could have been a stumbling block. He refrained from that. He took care of that. Would it have been an offense if Paul, while trying to reach a Jew with the gospel, did not restrain his liberty in the area of food and the things that he ate? Yes. He could have been an offense to a Jew. And so he took care of that. He restrained his liberties for the sake of the gospel. Paul, in restraining his liberties, gloried in the knowledge that he could reach more people with the gospel and thus see more people saved. That's what this is about. And put this in the context of the overall thing we're talking about here, about liberty, about things that we do that we have the privilege and the rights to do. That's what Paul's talking about. That's why he's teaching us these things in chapter 9. And so, in closing... We have, I have something for us to ponder. Does our lifestyles help or hinder the gospel? Does our lifestyle, does your lifestyle, does my lifestyle help or does it hinder the gospel? Naturally, if our lives are characterized more by sin than obedience, then we will be a hindrance to the gospel. If when people look at us and they see that we claim to be followers of Christ and we look like the world, then we will hinder the gospel. But we must not stop there. We also must ask ourselves, does our lifestyles in the areas where we have scriptural freedom or liberties help or hinder the gospel? I had a conversation recently with a Christian friend of mine that I haven't seen or heard from in some time. And in our conversation, I asked him, where he was attending church and he told me and he kind of I could sense in his voice that he wasn't really excited about it he wasn't really excited about this church he was attending 
And so I began to pry into it and say, you know, why? What's, what's going on here? And he just said he had come to the conclusion after attending many churches that there was not much difference between the church and the world. That was his conclusion that he had come to. And so he was using that as an excuse to say, well, I just don't see the, I just don't see the reason. I just don't see the need for actively being involved in the church and in a local body. And so I challenged him on that. I didn't leave him with that. I didn't let him stay there. I challenged him on the, on the fact that, yes, the church is full of sinners. Every church is full of sinners. We're all saved by grace, not by works. <laughs> and so I challenged him on that, that God does command his people to be involved in a local body. That's given. And so he listened and he heard it. But after I talked to him, after we got through talking, I was thinking about it, I began to wonder, what was it that hindered the gospel in this person's life? What was it? I have no idea. But what could it have been that had turned this person off to the church of Jesus Christ so much to where he felt like it was no different than the world? It could, it could have been sin in the body, no doubt. That was there. I'm sure he had seen... Example after example of people who just made no, made excuses for their sin and was perfectly content to live in their sin. But I also wonder if it could have been issues of what we're talking about here of liberties, of things that we do that make up most of our life, the things that we do as Americans, because we have so much to do. We have so many things to do in this country. And so many of these things bring conflict into the church because some person believes they shouldn't do these things and another person believes they have the right to do these things. And so we have a lot of conflict about this. And so I have to wonder if possibly it could have been some of that. I don't know. But it's a good question to ponder as we think about whether or not our lives hinder the gospel. The things that we do, even though many of them we have the perfect right to do, we have the privilege to do them. God's, I mean, Paul said in Galatians, for you are called to freedom, brothers. That's the first part of that verse. You are called to freedom, brothers. The gospel frees us. We are freed from the bondage of sin. But we are free also to partake of many things that God has blessed us with. But sometimes it's not that easy. And that's why Paul is dealing with this issue in this particular church because there was great conflict. Relationships were being torn apart because people were putting their rights above others. They were not loving others. They had the knowledge and it was puffing them up. I have the right to do this. I don't care what people think. I'm going to do it. I have the perfect liberty and right to do these things. But yet people were struggling with it. And Paul was saying, yes, you do have the right, but that's not the point. The point is you have a brother over here that's laying on the floor being destroyed by your freedom. What are you going to do with that? Many of us look at that brother and say he needs to grow up and get over it and, and understand he has freedom in Christ. That's, 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 sometimes that's my reaction. Get over it. Grow up. You're free. Why are you wanting to live under bondage? That's deadly. That's not loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes, they should grow up. Yes, they should understand their freedom. But are we the Holy Spirit? No. And only the Holy Spirit can fully set a person free. And so in the day-to-day life of the church, in the, in the day-to-day life of believers, in these issues where we have freedoms to do, 
we have to be very careful. And we, the first question we have to ask, the first question we ask should not be, can I do this? The first question should be, should I do this? And if I do this, will it hinder the gospel? That's the question. That's the question in anything that we do in life. We need to be asking ourselves, is the gospel going forth unhindered or am I putting a stumbling block in front of the gospel? And if we are putting a stumbling block in front of the gospel, then we have to have the heart of Paul and say, I would rather die than put a stumbling block to have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. And I would rather die than to put a stumbling block in front of people to keep them from hearing the true gospel. That verse I read in Galatians 5, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Here's the second part. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. That's the part we leave off. We are called to freedom, brothers. We have great freedom in Christ. Only do not use that freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Our flesh loves to feed itself. And as Americans, we have plenty of opportunities to feed it. We have lots of things to do. But America is not our home. It's a great country. I'm I'm grateful for the freedom that we have. But it's not our home. The kingdom of God is is our home. Heaven is our ultimate home. But as we are now, we are kingdom citizens in this foreign land. We're, We're immigrants in this country. Do you realize that? We're immigrants in this country because we belong to a foreign, citizen, a foreign kingdom. We're not citizens of this country. And so we have to live in that way. We have to live with the gospel upon our mind first and foremost. It's not about how many vacations I go on or whether I do this or whether I do that. It's about is the gospel going forth? And am I loving and serving others? That's our cry. And let us all, in closing, have the heart of Paul, as he said in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's our life. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the gospel that has set us free. We thank You, God, for the free liberties that we enjoy. And Father, the most important liberty that we enjoy is the freedom from sin. And so God, I pray that as Your people, we will walk through this time, through this land, not as Americans or wherever we are from, but as kingdom citizens, as Christians, as people who are going forth with the gospel message to rescue those who are dead in this world. And Father, help us all not to put stumbling blocks before the gospel. We thank you for the privilege of being able to be agents of reconciliation. And we pray, God, that through our efforts, you will reconcile others to yourself.